0: Hello and welcome to the and Rinse podcast. This is volume 9, issue 431, and today we will be talking about Hotline Miami 2 Wrong Number. Joining me, Leah Haydu in issue 431 are Brian Edwards.
1: Hello, hello. Hello,
0: and John Salmon.
1: Hi, hello. Sorry, I don't have a witty line from the game.
0: Yeah, sometimes it's, sometimes it's easier than others. Like, last week I got to make a Mario noise into the mic and that was okay, but uh, <laughs> oh, yes. I, I, I don't think that would fit too well with, uh, with Hotline Miami. I could smack a baseball bat into a side of beef or something, but I don't have either <laughs> yeah. of those things handy,
2: so. Yeah, I, all I've got down here is the side of beef. I don't have a baseball bat, so I couldn't do that again. I yeah, have a rubber Richard the
1: Rooster mask, which um, I bought to wear to a um, to wear to a Carpenter Brew concert, and I was planning on wearing that during this recording, but it is nine o'clock in the evening and twenty five degrees in the middle of summer here, so. I don't want a Ooh. tight piece of rubber strapped to my face. So, yeah, unfortunately, that, awful. That, that joke is not being played out. Also, we're not on camera. <laughs> so
0: there is it would that, just be of... that's funny. <laughs> it's it's the thought that counts. Yeah. Now, what you should do, since we are still in the middle of a pandemic here, uh, in every in the everywhere, I was going to say in the United States, but it's not just the United States; it's literally everywhere. That's uh, what a pandemic means, Leah. Um, you could just wear your your rooster mask as your face covering if you uh, if you have to go out for anything. I said that's, certainly that's could. probably wise. I have
1: thought about it I could cut the bottom (laughs) off it and make it into a pandemic mask rather than a full rubber gimp mask looking thing but uh, (laughs) I haven't got to that point yet.
0: Well, we'll just have to see how everything goes, how you're feeling after the podcast. Hotline Miami 2, wrong number. This is your spoiler warning. Uh, We are going to be talking a lot about the plot of this game uh, because there's a lot of plot to talk about. uh, and It's probably one of the more interesting pieces of Hotline Miami 2. I also want to uh, issue a brief content warning. This is a really, really, really violent game, um, and we're going to be probably talking a a fair bit about that. Um, there is also specifically uh, a lot of allusion well, maybe not a lot, but enough uh, allusions to uh, sexual violence. Uh, so uh, just be warned that that is part of this game if you do decide to uh, play it. If you've already played it and uh, you want to keep going, then you will probably also know that there is an option that is provided by the developers to uh, opt out of the sexual violence scenes when you start up the game for the first time. So um, that is there. Uh, I don't know that that was actually there to begin with and that uh that led to the game actually not releasing in australia so um i'm not sure whether that was a reaction to that or or not but uh, it's there now uh so uh that that option does exist uh so hotline miami one we covered in came and rinse issue 150 that's some time ago uh so uh, if you are interested in listening to the team's thoughts on the first game uh you can go ahead back and uh, and listen to that i will also say that we are likely to have some spoilers in here for the first hotline miami because the plots of the two and the stories of the two and the characters of the two and a lot of things from the two are pretty heavily linked uh so uh, you probably i don't know that necessarily a lot of people would be playing Hotline Miami 2 if they hadn't played the first one but in the event that that happens you know i would recommend going back and playing the first one first and playing the second one second as you do sometimes uh, Hotline Miami 1 and 2 were both developed by deniton Games, uh, which is primarily uh, two developers. Uh, there's uh, Jonathan Soderstrom and Dennis Whedon. Uh, they are credited with most of the... Uh, Most of the roles in the game, actually, Uh, they are the designers that are credited. They are the writers that are credited. Uh, SodaStrom also did the programming. Uh, So this is, uh, to my knowledge, really kind of the only games that uh, Denaton are credited with. Um the publisher, on the other hand, devolver digital is pretty well known for picking up a lot of uh, little weird niche indie things uh, and and this is one of the one of the bigger titles that I have have seen from them. I tend to like, it's it's odd to think of a publisher having a, a particular style. I think, but um, the the titles that Devolver have picked up, especially recently, have have really kind of resonated with me. I like I like their style. So you can check out a uh, list of all of the Devo- Devolver Digital games on their website, or you know just check out the internet. It's on there. Uh, so the music for this game is interesting because it is not a single composer. Uh, instead, it is a soundtrack. Uh, it is a, uh, an actual list. Some of the uh, compo- or some of the composers and the artists are uh, from the first game. They they contributed to the soundtrack of the first game as well. There are some that are new, uh, but I believe the final total is something like uh, fifty or sixty tracks that were used in different places in Hotline Miami two. So uh, there's there's quite a bit there. Uh, I wanted to kind of pause on the music for a minute uh, because I want to come back to that, but uh, just know that for now uh, there is a lot of difference uh, between some of the tracks in how they were composed by the different artists here. Releases for this game, it originally came out on the PC in March 2015, then uh, the same month it actually came out uh, I think about a week later for PS3, PS4, and PS Vita. The Switch version was much more recent. That came out in August 2019, bundled with the original Hotline Miami. And only just a couple of months ago, in April 2020, the Xbox One version was also released. So you can play Hotline Miami pretty much anywhere. Uh, Hotline Miami 2 also pretty much anywhere. Uh, the reviews were kind of all over the place, actually. Uh, a lot of our correspondents from the forum, uh, who we'll hear from throughout the podcast were not so hot on this game. There were a few reviews critically on both sides of the spectrum. Like there were some that gave it very high rankings of the, the nine and 10 variety. And then there were some that were like fours and fives and did not care for it much at all. General review scores that I found Open Critic has it at a 74 and uh, pre shutdown of game rankings. So, you know, obviously not the most recent score, but one that was linked in the uh, in the wiki for Hotline Miami 2. Uh, they had it listed at a 76, which is, I believe, also the current um, Metacritic score. User reviews were a little bit higher uh, in general. Uh, there is a 7.9 out of 10 score on Internet Movie Database and a 91% on Seem user reviews. So pretty high there. Our histories may may be a little bit different from the uh, the actual experiences of our correspondents and maybe from the critics too i don't know um, i'm gonna start with uh brian uh you have played this previously not just for the show is that right
2: yeah so i got uh hotline miami 2 day one on ps4 so it's been about a week or whatever after it came out on pc uh, i was massively hyped for it um i was a huge fan of of the first hotline miami like a lot of people uh, really drawn to just the music the style and just kind of like the I mean, it's a hyper violent game, which we're going to talk about, but like there's just something about the way that it's done and the way that's presented in just such a unique way. I I couldn't see I couldn't wait to see what they were going to do with it. The next step, you know? So, yeah, it was a day one on on PS4. I played through it and over the course of a few days when it when it came out and I literally haven't touched Hotline Miami two cents until preparing for the show. I ended up buying uh, the collection on Xbox One uh, to play through the show because I like achievements a little bit. So, so yeah. So I, um, so I actually just recently played through the original Hot Miami, followed up by Hotline Miami Two. I played them back to back in preparation for the show. Nice. Uh,
0: yeah, I actually was a little bit different. I played Hotline Miami One on the Vita, and I think that... I I was trying to think back to when that was, and I'm pretty sure that it was around when the PlayStation hack happened, because I remember... It wouldn't have been the first PlayStation, the the really big one that shut everything down. But there was another one where the PlayStation store got hacked because I remember it was I was at my parents' house. And I think it was right around Christmas that I was playing the original Hotline Miami. I I don't have super strong memories of of playing it, but I I have like those impressions in my head. Uh, Hotline Miami 2, I actually played a little bit before its release. Um, I was at a PAX the year before it came out of PAX East. Played it at their booth. I crashed it so badly that they had to reboot the entire computer. So <laughs> I i don't know whether I was just unlucky or whether it was still kind of unstable at that point. That was my first... I, I, I didn't, you know, th- that wasn't what turned me off of the game. Nothing has really turned me off of the game. But uh, yeah, that is... That is my first uh, real memory of Hotline Miami 2. And then I did not actually play it uh, at launch. I played it specifically for this show. Uh, So I played the PS4 version and um, played that, a couple of weeks ago i think uh and over a couple of days and uh yeah finished that up after much screaming and cursing at uh at some of the stages which i will talk about the difficulty level at some point i'm sure um but uh yeah so that's that's where i am uh john how about you did you play at launch or only just recently
1: uh no somewhere in the middle I was quite a big fan of the original Hotline Miami. I'd played it a lot on an old laptop, which, I mean, whether or not it was specifically to do with the game, uh, I used to get about sort of 45 minutes of playtime with Hotline Miami out of it, and then the laptop would sort of overheat and shut down. So I was I was kind of hyped for Hotline Miami 2, but at the time when it was released, I think it only came out on the PC and then on the PlayStation consoles, which I didn't actually have any of the... PlayStations at that point. So I waited until I think about the next year, I think sort of mid twenty sixteen was when I got my PS4 for the first time. Uh I don't think I played it immediately. I remember playing Hotline Miami 1 again at that point, uh, through a few times and sort of thinking, yeah, this is this is great. You know, I I liked everything that I'd seen and kind of heard of Hotline Miami 2 at that point. Like the soundtrack was everywhere and I was quite into a lot of the bands that were on the soundtrack, so I remember listening to that repeatedly. Um weirdly enough, without actually having played the game, and I did finally get round to it. I think about a year later, I mean I'm looking at trophies and stuff. they're all dated in august uh twenty seventeen so it was probably yeah maybe a year after I even got the p s four um and I sort of blasted through it and did a whole load of stuff on it, really enjoyed it, and have only returned to it in the last couple of weeks for the show
0: okay, so um we i think. We all mentioned that we had played the original Hotline Miami, and I, I think that's important uh, to note going through that uh, there are a lot of connections between Hotline Miami 1 and Hotline Miami 2. It's not its not a direct sequel. Well, I mean, I don't know that I would call it a direct sequel, per se, because a lot of it is prequel, actually. Uh, it, it's both prequel and sequel.
1: And concurrent as well with the original. Yes.
0: Yes. Um, so... I I think what I would like to do here is uh, go through one piece of correspondence and then just kind of go into the the story and how it connects through the first game, because there's there's really a lot to dig into there. Um, So I want to start by reading a piece of correspondence uh, from super user on the forum who uh, we'll hear from a couple of times says I liked it regarding the story. Uh, It had a very convincing nihilism to it that made the ending all the more tragic. I personally had little idea of what's going on, but I connected with a lot of the characters and find them memorable to this day. I sympathized with Evan, Richter, and Beard. I even started liking the fans in the final level as they were losing each other. It's interesting that the game was able to evoke that connection when they are all horrible people. The final level is so amazing, it almost redeems the game. It works because the rest of the game is positively dull by comparison, but by God, was it a trip, literally. There are comparisons to be made with Half-Life 2's final level, but rather than calling it derivative, I think that's the highest praise I can offer. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the rape depicted. Whether it was real, in-universe, or fake isn't relevant to the discussion, in my opinion. It it succeeded in being shocking. Merely being shocking isn't enough, and if there was a warning, I do not recall there being one, but I think it would also be a cop-out to have a skip button like Modern Warfare two did in its equally controversial controversial scene so i begrudgingly credit them for standing by it in that sense but also think it was of little value and just left a bad memory going through that level Um, yeah so as we mentioned before there is actually an opt-out uh now but it is possible that it did not uh have one originally
1: i'm not sure that it triggers the whole time either like i said before i played it originally three years ago Mm -hmm. and there may or may not have been a you know a skip scene or a content warning or something at the beginning at that point And then when I rebooted the game a couple of weeks back and started it from scratch in effectively a new game scenario, uh, I did not see anything suggesting that there was any sort of skippable. So it's, it's possible that I said no to it originally, and it just remembered that but you know years later you'd think that if it was a big deal that it would be something that you'd have to do every time
2: I I actually when I when I was playing the Xbox version and I started it up it was like a big screen like kind of right at the beginning like this has graphic violence Do you want to you know uh, graphic sexual violence depicted do you want to skip or not Um, and it kind of caught me off guard because I don't remember that at all from playing the PS4 version originally so I think it was something like you said Leah that had been added over time but
0: yeah I think it must have just been patched in later because yeah yeah, when when I Played it. I did play the PS4 version, and it was the same. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it was, you know, I, like a big screen at the beginning saying, "Do you want to opt out of this?" And I believe that you could also, after the fact, go into it. Like if you said no originally, you could uh, go into the options and uh, and kind of flip that on later uh, if you if you wanted to. I believe. Uh, but yeah, the option the option is there now, uh, and I I would almost bet that it's in the uh the switch version as well uh so that's uh that is a thing that's there um so yeah um I, i'm 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 a little I'm a little conflicted about how the best way is to go about this because uh as i've said there is rather a lot of story there are a number of mm. characters who uh kind of twine in with the events of the first game um so i i think maybe um going through it sequentially uh Mm -hmm. well not sequentially in the the order that it appears in the actual uh game because it's uh one of those stories that uh kind of jumps back and forth uh you'll you'll see scenes that happened uh well before everything else and it, it signals that with the uh date and time uh that that are actually uh displayed at the beginning of each chapter um but to to really kind of get a feel for what is going on. Uh, I think for me, it helps to, uh, (laughs) to, to, timeline it a little bit if you will well
2: leah you were telling john and i before recording started that you have a firm grasp on every aspect of the story and you're just going to lay it out completely this is going to be the definitive guide for the hotline miami 2 story so i'm, I'm really you looking just forward do to this me.
0: every time that i'm on a podcast. Like, i do it to this, be fair it's the like, same thing happened with the world ends with you yeah, listeners that, to be fair
2: i do that it's like it's it's like my it's like i'm becoming a thing, hack yeah. of myself i do it on every podcast so um but yeah no it's it's convoluted at best and um and at at and at worst, um indiscernible um so i think i think that approach makes a lot of sense um because there are a ton of ties to the original hotline miami some of the things that i notice in game and we'll talk about a lot of them were really interesting and fun and and kind of like neat connections but then mm. having to read about a majority of them after the fact and then make the connections mm-hmm. afterwards i think is something that that i ultimately found to be a detriment uh, to the game experience but it's but as we go through it i think that, that'll kind of explain itself a bit but um but yeah i mean there's there's not an easy way to just go ahead and talk about the story it's not like you can just be like okay mm-hmm. at the beginning you know th- it's not <laughs> one of those types of games in the
1: prologue yeah, I, here's I what happens two completely different experiences playing this uh, when i did it originally i don 't think I really picked up on what was going on in the story i don 't think I mm-hmm. really understood who a lot of the characters were and didn 't make a lot of the connections between the two games certainly and you can You can play through this and not even really understand what the the kind of the overarching storyline like what actually you know happens throughout the course of the game so it's very much I had like a gameplay style um enjoying the music and the the fun killing people gameplay and then a second playthrough of it where I was much more critical and followed the storyline much more. And, you know, it's it's this is such a trite comparison to make, but, I mean, it's got that Dark Souls thing of, like, you know, the more you pay attention to this, the more you're watching, like, the details of it, the more you pick up and the more appreciation you end up getting for it. And it's absolutely... uh, That's how I got it the second time around. And I've spent a number of hours this afternoon kind of watching through um, gameplay videos and reading... Articles on like the fandom wiki and stuff trying to piece together where everything kind of comes through and intertwines with each other and it's it's so ridiculously intricate, even to the point where if you watch out for things like there is there are things that happen in the course of this game that almost directly contradict or kind of argue with events that happened that you knew would have happened in the first game i can I can think of like at least three examples of things that shouldn't have happened but are shown to have happened here, which also I guess ties into the fact that there's a lot of weird sort of ambiguity in this of mm-hmm. you 've got at least two characters who you 're not really sure whether the things that they 're doing are kind of real or imagined i mean there's there 's certainly at least one sequence that's very obviously like a a bad dream that's happening in a character's head that makes no sense, so yeah it's I mean, I I love the weird um, intricacy and the detail that's built into everything here, but I understand why a lot of people just wouldn't have picked up on anything and just played it for the playing.
0: The tricky thing, I think, is that most, if not all, of the characters that you meet throughout the game are unreliable narrators like Mm -hmm. for for various reasons like some of them are just dealing with post-traumatic stress some of them uh, maybe have other types of mental illness some of them are literally on drugs Mm -hmm. some of them you know it, it just there's a lot of reasons that you might not be able to trust the, the narrative if we are to think that we are seeing if, if you go into a level and you are putting yourself in the in the place of the protagonist or the the playable character then you know if you're trying to see what it is that they see then sometimes and, and the the final level is probably the, the best example of this you know you you can't trust exactly what it is that they are seeing and that they are showing you um so i i don't I don't know if that's just an easy out for things that don't fit into what happens in the first game. Or, you know, if, if that was actually intentional, I, I, my guess would be it's probably somewhere in the middle. But it, it's interesting to think that, like, probably none of what we see these people do is, is 100% what literally actually happened um, in, in that world just a really super brief synopsis of the first game um just so you kind of know where we're coming from here so for for the bulk of Hotline Miami 1 you play as a jacket who is the character that you see most often with the the rooster mask on the the general idea behind it is that there has been a um a russian takeover of the united states um And as a result of a war in the 80s that we lost, the general idea is that there is a uh, an organization called 50 Blessings that has been giving uh, has been giving Jacket these directions by uh, by leaving him messages on the phone. And as you find out through the uh, the the storyline, main objective of that is taking out the Russian mob in, in Miami
2: primarily not to not to go too deep into the story of one because obviously there was already a podcast about the first one but <laughs> is it obscure story in the fact that you could also have played the first one without getting almost any of the Russian storyline yeah I mean you mm-hmm. know that they're Russians you're going off against but the only way you get the 50 blessings in that part of it is by literally pixel hunting at every level for mm-hmm. to collect the letters to get the password for the door so there's there's a history there of having you know like subtext be it, subtext under subtext under subtext until to kind of reveal each layer yeah,
1: yeah. for sure I I think you know there's a lot to be said for the idea that the story of hotline miami one on its own doesn't explain very much at all whereas most of what happens in that game is explained by backstory that's told here um i think the you know the heavy implication is that the cold war in this universe has kind of escalated beyond the point where it did in our own and it's it's turned into an actual physical conflict in uh hawaii between the u.s and the soviets and after uh, some events that you kick off here in this game in 1985, the Soviets drop a nuclear bomb on San Francisco the next year and destroy it, which is then followed by a long period of um, sort of there's like a, a weird ceasefire, but there's also uh, lots of protests and heavy Russian uh, anti-Russian uh, sentiments, uh, which is then what becomes uh, you know what forces this this organisation, the Fifty Blessings, to kind of uh, you know, to grow in power and to start effectively what they do in Hotline Miami 1 is trying to stoke the fires of, you know, the anti, anti-Russian anti sentiments to, uh, you know, to kick off more physical violence and, you know, ultimately seem to be very successful in that, uh, you know, in that endeavor, which is then, you know, covered by most of the events here.
0: Yeah, I... Um... I did not pick up all, on most of the fifty blessings stuff. Uh, the when with my actual playthroughs, that a lot of that was stuff that I just either missed in in like I didn't do enough pixel hunting, essentially, <laughs> or I just wasn't putting it together. Um, I, I for me personally, and I'm curious to see if you guys feel this way as well. Um, considering that you both played it more than once, I felt that. The style of the game is almost a detriment to the story uh, and what I mean by that is that the style of the game gameplay wise is so intense and, and requires so much precision and so much frustration if you're me um, <laughs> that you know i'm not I'm not inclined to continue hunting around the environments because I'm you know I, I'm spending so much. Time and energy and 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 such. Actually, just getting through the levels. Uh, I I'm not sure exactly what that means with regards to like. I, I don't necessarily think that it should have been easier, but also I I'm I'm not sure what that balance is. Is that something that you guys feel got better with a second playthrough, or is that just is this just a me problem?
2: No, I think no, nah, I think I think you're right on the money there because there is something. This game has a ton of story and a ton of things that it wants you to discover, but like the the design and the style of the game kind of leads you to want to sprint through everything a little bit. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, it's it doesn't really marry the gameplay with the story in a way that, that I don't think they support each other very well. I, maybe this is just me. I might just be an impatient, stupid, selfish American. But like, when I would get done with one of these crazy hard levels, like, like my instinct is like, it's giving me like a score and all the rest. I'm just like slamming on X as fast as I can. You know, let's get through this. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you can't skip the cutscenes or anything. But like, it, it does have a weird pacing issue to where it's like breakneck pace to then like slow as a crawl and then back and forth. So it does make it, I think, difficult to tell a story in this type of game. Um, for what they do, I think, do effectively is kind of drip feed you enough pieces to at least keep you interested, even if you mm-hmm. might not know exactly what's going on. Um, the characters are n- usually doing something sensational, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. There's a reason to be kind of interested in what's going on behind the scenes, but again, it's so convoluted that at some points you just don't know what the heck's going on. But
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's kind of arguably a point here where um, the gameplay and the music are kind of one thing in of themselves, and then the storyline is is almost a completely separate uh, separate issue um, that plays into it. But there's, I mean, there, there are a lot of scenarios here where it's, you know, very uh, heavily foreshadowed in the story that what you're doing is, uh, you know, effectively a suicide mission. You're one man sort of charging into a, an area and killing sort of 40, 50 people who are, who are sort of holed up in their hideout and to the point where the the missions in Hawaii with, uh, with Beard... Uh, some of those missions are are literally told to you by your commanding officer that it's a suicide mission that you're not expected to survive so the, the gameplay being difficult and frenetic in some way makes sense with what you're actually trying to do like you know games like Call of Duty and things are generally first person shooters are not accurate portrayals of how war happens you know you don't have these situations where you've got one super soldier who you know takes out thousands of people and you know shrugs off bullets and sort of you know pops a pack of bandages open and is is absolutely fine like the the difficulty here feels more kind of i lost the word i was trying to think of um yeah the difficulty feels a, a bit more uh suitable for the scenarios that your your characters are putting themselves into and It it is supposed to be difficult and it would be a you know a near impossible task to uh, you know to accomplish so i mean on that I give it maybe a little bit more credit than I think a lot of other people do. But it is also, you know, we'll we'll get onto the gameplay at some point and discuss that.
0: So we've mentioned a couple of times that the uh, story, if you were to put everything in chronological order, uh, starts off in Hawaii in the mid 80s, where there is a group of soldiers who are basically the the best of the best you know they are they are considered to be these these super elite soldiers uh who are given some pretty tough assignments and a number of those assignments are ones that you as the player will uh will go on uh Primarily as um, the soldier who shows up in the first game as a uh, as a character called Beard, um, he's uh, kind of the guy you see him if you if you've seen the art for Hotline Miami two the uh, the kind of cover art um, he's like the red haired guy with the with the beard appropriately enough um, and uh, you he is one of the only survivors to get out of the uh kind of final suicide mission that he uh that he is sent to by his commanding officer in in hawaii i had a tough time with these missions um i found them to be some of the hardest ones and i think that was probably because we're gonna get into gameplay a little bit here i guess they, they really do go together uh when, when we're talking about the specific characters because the characters um more or less all have different uh kind of combat styles um with with a lot of shared dna in there but uh there there are different um kind of restrictions as well as different pros that they can they can utilize um but yeah so uh with uh the soldier beard uh you select a weapon going into the mission uh and you can switch back and forth between that weapon and your knife at any time but also once you run out of ammo you cannot pick up another weapon you have to find an ammo crate somewhere along the line and uh, and refill yourself and i found that to be pretty difficult (laughs) Yeah, mm-hmm. I
2: this is probably going to get into my biggest uh, complaint about Hollow to Miami Two is that mm-hmm. obviously they're trying to change things from the first one and make it to not be this mirror copy of gameplay. They're trying to kind of mm-hmm. evolve the formula. And I appreciate that. But the, I really miss being able to just pick up any weapon in any stage, mm-hmm. you know, once you drop somebody. And and I found these stages very frustrating because you would run out of ammo and sometimes an ammo crate would be you know, a certain amount around the stage they'd put like a, a blinking arrow by it. So you knew where to go, but it just, mm-hmm. it kind of like disrupted the flow and kind and the, the improvisation of the first one it's like, you know, where you just kind of, well, you're going in with a knife and the first gun you get, you just got to try to make it work. And you kind of pick your route and do different things based on where, what, what weapons are, where, when here, like you pick that one weapon and you're just kind of stuck with it for the whole stage. It kind of took away like just a little bit of the gameplay variants for me, and um, mm. and so yeah, when we when it would show those dates, you know, at the front and it would say Honolulu, Hawaii, which is where these these um, or you know Hawaii Hawaiian Islands where these uh, stages take place, I always kind of get a little bummed out because I felt like I was going to be pigeonholed into one style of gameplay.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's worth pointing out that these are probably the uh, the worst offenders for that specific thing that you're talking about of you know, not giving you any abilities with your character pigeonholing you into a weapon. And they are also like, I think notoriously long and difficult stages here. And it again, it it does kind of play into the storyline, the idea that you're uh, essentially one person storming uh, a Russian military base. So they are, they're big areas. Uh, they tend to be filled with a lot of enemies. Most of the enemies are armed, which is one of the major complaints that is drawn against the gameplay here. Uh, with a lot of enemies having weapons they're absolutely like perfect turn towards you you're dead you know in a way that is almost impossible to do certainly with a, a controller setup i can't imagine playing this on something like a switch light or a vita right. with like with um stick positions and actually having any sort of real precision here against these like godlike enemies but i think i think it does it does work out that that Plays into the narrative of these are essentially supposed to be suicide missions that you're barely supposed to be able to survive um, fighting against literally armed soldiers. But it it completely changes the, the gameplay format of the first game, which was very much sort of combo based, drawing enemies out and sort of getting into a small area, taking them out, throwing a weapon, quickly getting in before your combo resets. You can't really do that here. I mean, certainly these levels in in particular are very much more placed around, um, around gunplay, which unfortunately for me and I think for a lot of other people was not the high point of the, the Hotline Miami gameplay. They're sort of shooting someone from half a screen away. And the other problem here is because the screens all scroll quite a lot. Uh, so many times you're getting shot by enemies who are off screen or charged by somebody who you, you couldn't see because they were off the edge of the screen. And that's, I mean, that's a constant problem that happens here, but the Hawaii levels are by far the worst offenders for us. For it. sure.
2: And there's a lot of big open space in that area too. So um, what what you t- would traditionally associate with a Hotline Miami style game is, you know, close quarters in these kind of apartment buildings or these towers where you're going up levels. But in some of these uh, these uh, like war like soldier levels you are just like like the one who was just kind of like this big open parking lot and like with like these oil kind of refineries in the middle and like I would just find myself getting tagged from across the screen I mean just I was at stuck a f- on
0: that level yeah. for so long
2: I want to say <laughs> that, that was probably re- the
0: one that took me the longest
2: yeah on yeah. this recent playthrough I'd say that's the <laughs> that is the level that I got the die 1000 time achievement finally <laughs> you know because it like it popped during that level I'm like that makes sense I mean I must have died 150 times on that level before you know or whatever and yeah it just and I think one of the correspondence uh, says it here is that it, it that the shifting of difficult but fair to difficult but unfair like really that's where I felt that the most in this game and I think it's a really valid criticism because it's just it just like you know you think you have everything mapped out and good and then there's a there's a, a guy you just didn't even see that uh, it's just yeah I'm getting mm. frustrated talking about it now,
1: so, uh. <laughs> now and it's the other uh, slightly unfortunate thing about it is it plays into the um you know how much the soundtrack works because you know I absolutely adored basically all of the music in the original, all of the music here. But you know, no matter how much you love a song, if you hear it looping for 40 minutes, yeah. yeah. it is definitely yeah. gonna start going sour <laughs> on mm-hmm. you. And that's that's a disappointment for me.
0: I, I agree with that. Yeah. Um I <laughs> I for the soldier specifically, the the Hawaii levels. I think that the reason I was not a fan of the the restrictions in that particular level was that if you were a soldier, um, yeah, it makes sense that this would be very difficult to almost impossible. But if you were out of ammo and there are just guns all over the place, you're probably not going to run around just looking for the ammo in your specific gun. Uh, Now, when it comes to one of the restrictions that I did like, this is jumping forward a little bit, but he's a character that shows up in the Hawaii levels as well, so uh, not too much, uh, is the writer, actually. Um, So the writer is um, a character who um, does show up at the bar in the beginning of the game and um, takes a picture of uh, two of the soldiers. And it actually turns out to be, if you played through Hotline Miami 1, it's the Polaroid that... um, that uh, jacket actually just lets fly off the balcony at the end of the game. That's, that's that Polaroid. Uh, and when we kind of see catch up with him and see, you know, some, what kind of the, the repercussions of, of, his actions through this game, um, that, that picture kind of comes up a couple of times. So clearly they are, they are assigning importance to it. But um, the writer um, is not someone who you would expect to be able to do a whole lot of fighting. So he actually cannot pick up guns most of his attacks are by default non-lethal, but when he picks up a gun, instead of actually equipping it, he'll just pull the magazine out of it. And I think that that's I really liked that, that because mm-hmm. that makes sense. You know, if this guy is is a reporter or is, you know, not he is not a combatant like at all, he probably would not be as comfortable with using these kinds of things and, and might have more of a reaction to, you know, not actually wanting to kill anybody and uh, and you know, using his hands instead of uh, instead of actually just mowing everybody down.
1: Yeah, I like the I like the writer Evan a lot. He's one of the characters that probably I think ties into more of the other people's storylines than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And the the conceit here is that he's a sort of a failing reporter. He's having marital issues and he's struggling financially um and he's completely obsessed with, you know, with sort of getting his big storyline break. Uh, so his his angle here is he's trying to write a book, I believe, centered around the uh, the events of Hotline Miami 1, the seemingly sort of random and brutal killings that Jacket has committed in the first game. He's got, um, like I say, he's got connections to half of the other characters. Uh, he gets leads from the character who's a cop, who sort of tips him off to um, gang hideouts and places that he might be able to you know find out more information for his book so his his three or four levels are all essentially him trying to infiltrate these hideouts to to either speak to somebody or or to gain some more information so as you say it it makes sense that he's not just there brutally killing people i mean most of the characters in this uh explicitly stated that they're doing this because they just they're either psychopaths or you know they've got some sort of uh you know want to Sort of brutally murder all these people, whether it's for, you know, financial gain or, or fame or whatever, you know, they're very much tied into this. Whereas this guy just wants to get his story. Um, and yeah, I, that's, I found his scenarios where he would, he would actively de the guns and stuff that he found, and that would increase your combo meter. That was like an extra thing. So you could, you could hit the guy, knock him down. It would give you a, you know, a times two, and then grab the gun that's on the floor and unload all the shells out of it, and it would, it would knock up to times three. So that became kind of really interesting for, for sort of score chasing and increasing combos which was something that i found a lot of the other uh, scenarios in this were much more difficult as we talked about with the you know the hawaii levels it just doesn't really play into that fluidity feeling but this guy this guy worked out really well and i yeah i think he's probably one of the most interesting characters in it and he even has i mean some of the other ones have things that happen um depending on your actions like minor changes to them but this guy has a he has a completely different ending he either he gets to make a choice in one of his last cutscenes between you know his, his wife's basically saying you know it's either it's either your family or your work and you can choose to either pick up the phone and talk to her or go and uh, go and use your typewriter and it then plays out differently in the final cut scene you either see him uh, working at his desk or you see him at his at his table with his family so that was it was kind of an interesting interesting choice to make in a game like this where you wouldn't really expect there to be these subtle differences.
2: He's also probably the only redeemable and likable character too. Um, where I struggle, I mean, the the first game, don't get me wrong, there's nobody to like in that one either. But you were playing from the point of like one, base, essentially one character's point of view the entire time. And this one, where you're swapping back and forth, like it maybe when I when I would see a level where I was getting to play as Evan again, like I like that was a guy who I wanted to succeed. You know, I wanted him to, you know, work things out with his family to get his story to, you know, and and while while everybody else was just kind of, you know, like starting another murder carnival. Um, So, uh, yeah, it, it
1: definitely, I would say, the most
2: nuanced character that they had in the game. It's worth
1: pointing out that he can be turned into, as you call it, a murder carnival. Um, The only only way that you can actually kill people with his playstyle is if you've knocked somebody down onto the ground, you can then go and do the execution that you you would normally do if you'd, um, you know, if you'd down the character with a door or punch them. And if you do that with him a couple of times, he goes into what I think is referred to as rage mode, where suddenly he can start using weapons and, and guns. And it kind of it's. I think it's pretty much implied that you know this is a bad thing that he's doing like the screen starts to get staticky and yeah it it turns all red I
2: actually I did that on accident Mm. this last playthrough and he like he he picked up the baseball bat next to the guy and just like was kind of it was like that scene you see from a lot of hyper violent um, like mobster movies where he takes like one swing and then another swing and then he starts just swinging keep like not stopping kind of thing and it was it was fairly disturbing and then and then of course I turned a corner and got instantly murdered by somebody so it, it restarted the level and i got to be a good guy again so that was how that was that made me happy but
1: it's a weird dichotomy where most of the game in, in the levels and stuff so the 95 percent of, of the levels you're actively encouraged to be as brutal as possible and murder people as much as possible but in the one scenario where you get to make the choice not to it feels way better not to
0: i think it's because it's it's trickier almost like it's it's not that there is no challenge to this, because obviously there is. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It uh, it's it's a different kind of challenge. Mm. The group of um of soldiers that we see in the beginning, who include a Jacket from the first uh, from the first Hotline Miami. He is the other. I, I, is it just the two of them? Correct me if I'm wrong here. It is just the two of them that actually escape. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, the other two get killed. I mean, the colonel, uh, the colonel gets away in the end, but he doesn't get sent on the suicide mission. So yeah, the other two, I think, it's Barnes and Daniels, but also called Scarf and Dreadlocks or something like that. Yeah, they they both die in the the. I think it's a power plant takeover.
0: Um. So uh, yeah. So the um, the connection. To the, um, to Hotline Miami One here, uh, leads us to both, um, the character who we see, a relatively minor, well, I, I guess he's a minor character, uh, that we see in kind of the, the first prequel chapter, who is, uh, an, an actor, uh, as we find out. Uh, and it also goes to, uh, the fans, uh, who is, who are a, uh, group that, are kind of dedicated to um just kind of recreating some of the things that happened with jacket in hotline miami one um these are probably the the i don't think that i can actually say that they are probably the most irredeemable people in the game because nobody's a good person in this game like Uh, it's it's just not
1: the the cop and the actor are also pretty bad on their level yep. russian mob boss guy's not great <laughs> the henchman guy's not too bad and the guy who's uh taking care of his mum i guess they're not terrible but yeah i mean it's it's kind of a race to the bottom with these people <laughs> yeah. yeah you're it's either not- a serial killer or a psychopath or someone yep. who's killing random people just because they kind of want notoriety out of it
0: so um both of these uh and and in fact most of what is not the the actual prequel Hawaii prequel takes place in uh 1991 um, and the first uh, character that I mentioned uh is the first kind of thing that you see. Uh, And it is revealed towards the end of the chapter that this is, uh, this is an actor who has been cast to do a, um, to recreate the role of jacket. I mean, he's a little bit different. He's wearing a pig mask instead of wearing a rooster mask. Um, But there are kind of some similarities uh, in in the way that a, uh, a Hollywood would sensationalize something like this for a, a better, story I guess um, so that's where um, that's where the game starts off you kick off with um, running through the uh, the house to do do some bad business uh, did you guys I so I I'm not sure that I thought that this was really necessary um, this is probably if if I were to cut out something from the game, this is probably the thing that I feel is kind of the most extraneous. Uh, and I'm curious to think, to know if, uh, if you guys liked this bit or thought it fit in really well or added really a lot.
1: I struggle to sort of conclude in my head how this does actually fit in because I mean, as you say, you get two scenes with this guy, mm. two playable scenes and a few cut scenes. So he's, as you say, he's sort of starts off in a tutorial style section, which Then the camera pulls back and reveals it to be a film set. Uh, He then has a very odd section where he appears to be on a talk show and is supposed to be talking about his movie, but is saying some very questionable things that I think is, you know, very specifically designed to make you question whether or not the movie thing is real or whether he is actually a psychopath committing these actions. And Mm -hmm. his Mm -hmm. sort of justification for it is that he's pretending that it's a film set And then he has another similar sequence where he gets arrested and fights his way through a police station only to be, I think it's implied that he's shot in the film, uh, which is supposed to be fake. But it's a scenario where the gun ended up being loaded and he was actually shot for real, but on this film set. There's nothing that really concretely tells you either way whether it is, is actually a film that has eventually gone wrong or whether this guy is a serial killer psychopath who is doing this um, under the delusion that, you know, he's actually an actor or that he's famous. But I mean, there's, there's some kind of telltale signs that go either way. I think the, after his scene finishes, it cuts to the vigilantes, the four vigilante guys Mm -hmm. watching the film on the TV. So I've, yeah, I may, I struggle. It, It kind of goes both ways, but I mean, there's another character who is very similar sort of position of, Clearly, having some sort of a psychotic breakdown later on, mm-hmm. and it is also shown off with his delusions that he's actually on a film set at one point, and other delusions that he's receiving phone calls telling him what to do. So, yeah, I mean, as you say, it is kind of extraneous, and it is only really two scenes that sort of function as the beginning of the game that really just introduces you to the other characters and it, i think is specifically designed to sort of sow seeds of doubt in your head of this game is uh you know being told by unreliable narrators. we're not really sure what's real and what's not and you know it ties into a, a large um underlying theme of the whole thing that is based around you know people in positions of power committing atrocious acts and somehow managing to convince themselves that it's okay and managing to get away with it with various degrees of success.
2: That's more eloquent than I could ever put it um, <laughs> because I was I was honestly just confused by by these segments. This game attempts to say a lot of things whether outright or or kind of uh, you know between the lines, but th- this particular set of scenes did not seem to fit for me like it was And like some of the the levels were kind of either, you know, fun or interesting or like fun. That's such a weird word. But the, you know, like it just was a a new scenario with which to run around with a guy and, and, you know, kill some faceless dudes. But like. When it came time to actually explain it, it didn't really seem like they had anything to say about it. It just kind of was. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's the mm-hmm. point. And I'm just a little dense, but like that just didn't it didn't mix because I could find even if it's convoluted with every other character and every other sequence of events in this game, I could kind of draw some lines in my head and be like, oh, this is what they were trying to say here. Or this is the point they were trying to get across or the story they were trying to tell when when it comes to him. I just I just don't if if there is something to tell there, I completely missed it. Because um, it just it didn't seem to 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 fit in with everything else.
1: I feel like the biggest kind of message that they're trying to impart here is that this guy is uh, very similar. Assuming that things are are actually fake, uh, you know, the movie set and the phone calls and things are fake, and it's a delusion that some sort of psychopathic serial killer is having to convince himself that he's not actually committing the crimes right. that he is. Uh, it ties um almost exactly the same in with what the police character that we're gonna find later is. And the, the parallel between the two I think is that this guy is potentially, you know, just a, a disgusting psychopath who's doing these things and sort of manages to get, to get away get away with it for a little bit. And the flip side is that the cop does exactly the same thing, just loves killing people for no good reason, um, and is just a horrible, brutal psychopath. But because of his position in the police force, is able to get away with it to a much greater extent than than Martin is. Whether or not that's true, I mean, that's the only kind of the sort of the message that it was giving me of yeah, this is this is how you do it, and this is how you don't do it successfully.
0: Yeah, I I I, th- I think that's really the the issue that I have with it is that the story or or kind of the I, I mean, I get if they wanted to do kind of like a, a mirroring, uh, like you say uh of you know a a successful way to do this and a not um but it it just seemed like the story was so much better fleshed out and and was executed better haha pun not intended i guess um when it was executed better in in, uh the detective's case um because it's more subtle like you play through more of the the storyline as uh the detective and you know don't really i mean there are clues here and there but it's not it's not as um uh, not as obvious I think as it is with uh, with the actor um, when you kind of see he's been you know when you see that the detective that is has been investigating this case when the entire time he is you know this Miami mutilator I I don't know I, I thought that I, I'm not 100% sure why I thought that the detective's part worked out pretty well and not <laughs> so much the actor
1: it feels like it has more to say I mean even yeah, maybe with that's my it. most kind of gracious reading of you know whether or not there's a a grand comparison to be made between the two the scenes with martin still feel gratuitous and a bit unnecessary uh to you know make a a beleaguered point that they don't really need to make the policeman scenes work perfectly on their own so I I suppose, um,
0: in (laughs) if I wanted to uh, go uh, super cynical on it, I could just say that they needed a throwaway character to do a tutorial with. Right? (laughs) That's
2: possible. That's possible. (laughs) I I would believe that. And there's something just about the policeman's character scenes that I, I guess the term would be they're more believable. Like like him, like this guy who's this power hungry, like obsessed, violent, murderous animal who's using his position of power in order to get a like essentially get away with even though that doesn't kind of resolve long term but like with these kind of the, these group killings like like I can mm-hmm. I can see there's a person like that that exists in the world you know what I mean like sure. like I, oh, I, can, yeah. I, I don't relate to him but I could but I relate to that depiction and um mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so when he like when he comes out that first time and and the cops who are like watching the door are like, hey, you're not authorized to be here. And he's like, you don't tell me how to do my job, rookie. And then he just walks in and just, you know, creates a, you know, 10 murder crime scene and then walks out like, ah, I'll do the paperwork later. Like I I could just that that reads as like something that could have potentially happened or or unfortunately might still kind of happen. And uh, yeah, so, Mm -hmm. yeah, it just that that resonated with me for some reason when the the stuff with Martin just didn't didn't land.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I (laughs) think. And I think that that could not to go too deep uh in in this direction, but um I think that it's entirely possible that um Brian and I are getting a reading on this that uh is affected by current events uh in the United States with the police system
2: that that's
1: that that's exactly <laughs> what's happening in my brain <laughs> but yes yeah, yeah <laughs> no, I mean, don't get me wrong, we're not immune to that in the rest of the no, world No, not either. at all
0: but uh I think it's just particularly, uh, yeah, it's just, pertinent yeah, the right now. kind
1: of themes of police excessiveness and brutality. And yeah, using and it you just kind using of flashes his badge. badge as an and says, yeah, to do
0: it's, uh, it's definitely rings, uh, rings some bells, mm. uh, unfortunately. Mm. But, um, yeah, so, uh, we connected uh martin and and uh the detective uh manny is his name manny pardo that's a
2: great detective name can we just can we focus that on something is, positive a for a second manny pardo is <laughs> sure. totally he's totally like the detective wearing the brown blazer whose tie is just a little bit off center <laughs> and like he's smoking a cigarette in the rain being like oh man the boss isn't gonna believe this that's manny pardo and i just i love that name anyway okay that's that's it <laughs> uh
0: according to uh fun fact according to the hotline miami wiki he is named after a florida cop who went on a three- killing spree in 1986 in which he killed drug dealers exclusively. Oh,
1: yeah, I can believe Yay. that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like I said that's that's from the that's from the wiki. It does not have a citation, but uh it's it's interesting and I can, I and can I believe, believe that. Connected also to both the uh the prequel setting and the current setting um because we do see the detective uh investigating these these events at some point are the fans who I, I briefly mentioned previously. And these are just People in masks uh, who are really into the idea of um, recreating some really awful stuff. Um, so i <laughs> i i don't i don't feel like we get a really great background on them. And, and I guess maybe that's kind of the point. They just kind of form a gang. This is where we see the um, more of the the kind of mask um, dynamic or the mask mechanic that is, um, that the first game really revolved around. Um, most of the characters in this game don't, wear the masks to give them the different abilities but here you do have uh, kind of a limited uh, number of ways that you can utilize that particular uh, mechanic I personally uh, of the four of them well I guess there's five because there's one that is actually two people but um, there's uh, so there's Tony who is the tiger haha um, you have Mark who is the bear you have Corey who is the zebra and then you have have Alex and Ash uh who fight together and I found them to get to be really difficult to kind of get a hold. It's a cool idea, but mm. I did not I did not do very well with them. I liked Tony personally for for yeah. when I had a choice. Mm-hmm. Tony, uh, his gimmick is that you um you can't pick up weapons, but your punches are actually lethal. So um <laughs> you you don't have any long range capability. But I found myself doing a lot of the stick your head out for a second and make them come after you, and then just as they come in the door, just punch them all down.
2: There's something super satisfying about just like running quick into the room and then backing out, and like these three guys with you know machine guns turn the corner and it's just like punch 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 and it's just like. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) They fly across like that's there's there's unarguably hilarious and entertaining to do uh, while playing. I ended up
0: holding up in places where like there would then just be a pile of corpses (laughs) it was it was comical in a really dark way i think that tony in the first game um somebody did and i believe it was him or the the tiger mask you could eventually get an ability where the doors would be lethal uh and i use that a lot that's not a thing in this game um but i i do like just being able to punch things and have them stay down
1: I mean, I think that this character with the tiger mask is directly taken from the first game. I think mm-hmm. the tiger also had the lethal punches. I think the one with the I doors so. that you're thinking of might be the horse character. Oh, maybe. Horse mask, maybe. But I mean, they, they obviously know that this is a satisfying thing to do because they <laughs> then it just absolutely ate this ability for, I think, at least two or three of the other characters later on have the choice of having lethal punches. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, these these chapters with the fans, I think, are probably the ones that Uh, gameplay wise I enjoyed the most because they are Mm. you know canonically trying to ape exactly what happened in the first game with Jacket they're going to sort of random hideouts of you know low lives and gang members and drug dealers and stuff Mm. just for the sake of going in and killing them so you have that same like dingy abandoned apartment block setting that the first game had with the characters with the choice of masks that feels very reminiscent of of what happened in the original so I think yeah definitely these were and not sort of, you know, in terms of I like these characters, but gameplay-wise, just the the way that the levels work out with the music and everything tying in uh, mm-hmm. was probably some of the most satisfying bits. And it's a, it's kind of a cool conceit to have instead of one character picking different masks to be able to play as four different sets of characters, yeah. and mm-hmm. it plays really nicely into their final level where uh, I think you don't really understand as you go into it, but you play through a a tower block with four different floors and each floor that you go up you play as each of the different characters. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the previous few levels you'd pick and you'd play as Tony for like three floors or something. And you could just stick with one character and do it. But this last scenario with them you're forced to play as each of the four Mm -hmm. um the four characters which works out cool in both gameplay wise because you may not have played as one or two of them before and then ties their storyline together well. I liked playing as Alex and Ash a lot. The only mm. thing I didn't
2: like is that it gives you so much more surface area to get shot and to get killed. Um, so what I found is that, like, I kind of enter a room and then try to get back around the corner, and just one of the two of them would get either hung up on a corner or just not take long enough, and I found myself being dis- uh, discovered. But I-, I did like the idea of being able to, like, kind of two actions at once and it was challenging definitely made it more challenging and that last mm-hmm. level where you're forced like you were just talking about john where you're you're forced to, talk, uh, to play as each one of them up the up the levels um that was a very challenging level but when it when i was doing yeah. it well it was like i felt I felt pretty powerful. You know what I mean? Like, I felt like I was really in the zone, but then there would be some times where I'd walk into a room and there would be all of a sudden you'd get the aggro from three enemies and I would just like run screaming, both characters looking around in different <laughs> directions. Like, I had no idea what I was doing. So it was chaotic, but I but I did enjoy playing as the fans pretty much, you know, pretty much the, the most of any of any of the other gameplay segments.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, Yeah, it, the, the Alex and Ash thing. Um, I don't think think can they actually pick up other weapons uh or is it just you're stuck with the chainsaw and the pistol or whatever you're it is definitely
2: you're whatever gun with the it is chainsaw. yeah i think it's i yeah. think you're stuck with a pistol too
1: um but you're def- definitely definitely stuck with the chainsaw if the pistol runs out of ammo you can pick up another oh, weapon you can, okay. or you gotcha. can pick up another gun i'm not sure if you can pick up a A melee weapon with ash there they can certainly exchange the guns
2: (laughs) i had a moment in that last level playing as alex and ash where where i knock somebody down and alex is i think it's alex has a chainsaw and is chainsawing the guy on the floor and then a guy came around the corner and i'm shooting at them while the chainsawing's happening and i you know it was just one of those things like like i don't know why i'm giggling at this mayhem but this is (laughs) i believe
0: there's a trophy for that trophy slash achievement for that um if you are uh, chainsawing a character, uh, or if you're chainsawing an enemy with one of them, and then the other one shoots, I think two enemies while you're doing that, then yeah. you, you get an achievement for it. I yeah. did not get that achievement, but I saw that it was there. <laughs> All right. So um, the other kind of um, arm, I guess, of the uh, of the storyline is that you actually do play as kind of the uh, other side, uh, if you will, uh, which turns out to be uh characters from the russian mob were targeted in the first game by the um the 50 blessings crew uh and and specifically with by jacket um and here um it's it, it's a little bit different um you john you want to explain this you you're, you're you've done a lot of research and i feel like i don't have a solid handle on on uh, on the russians
1: yeah, okay. So um the combination of Hotline Miami 1 was Jacket killing the Russian mob boss uh, in the final level. And in Hotline Miami 2, a couple of years later, his son has now taken over the, I guess, the, the crime empire and is uh, basically in the same position that his father was previous. So you've got a s- two sets of levels here where one of them is you playing as the son, which is they are basically the final set of levels in the whole game, so we'll probably leave those for the moment um and the other set is you're playing as his sort of henchman or his right hand man who I think you get this pretty early on in the game. I think it's you know very, very early compared to some of these other things um so you've got a, a cutscene with this um sort of generic bald-looking henchman guy comes in to speak to the mob boss and says you know he's he wants out of the mob, he's done with everything." And the boss sends him on one more mission, which, you know, you know exactly how this scenario goes from various movies and things. Um, he goes off, he does his mission. At the end of it, I think he's planning to, you know, sort of leave town with his girlfriend. Uh he goes to bed, the girlfriend steals the money that he's taken and, and runs off. And the henchman then comes back to the the sort of the mob and ends up in a um in a in a small room in one of the clubs sort of drowning his uh you know his sorrows uh, at which point the the fans are in the process of um storming the the hideout that they're in and they end up killing the henchman i think in a scene that happens technically before you've actually played as him all of this stuff happens sort of out of out of time. Oh, order is that right? Yeah, order. that makes
2: sense now. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't make that connection to right now. You're absolutely right. It does happen beforehand because I was mm. trying to because they kind of linger on that kill a little bit. And I was wondering, why is that significant? Absolutely. Yeah, sorry. I just it, it's it's awesome when you're recording a podcast on a video game and then you come to a realization about one of the key <laughs> points of that video game. So
1: sorry. Continue, John. That's cool. And then that that further ties into the the when you're playing later as the mob boss, the sun. Who at the point where the fans are beating the henchman character to death, the mob boss rings him, also in kind of a sorry state, and asks the who he thinks is the henchman, you know, if he's if he's done if he's actually quitting. The fans at this point have got hold of the phone, so they learn from the the mob boss the location of their actual hideout, and that's when they decide to go and storm, you know, sort of a large target. Rather than the the crack houses and stuff that they have previously been taking down, so their final level and the the mob boss's final level are both in this this large gang hideout that that they get tipped off to because they've just killed the henchman character.
0: Good job! Yeah.
1: And this is this is like. 20% of the way into the game, halfway through, and then literally the last level where yeah. the the mob boss I think basically gets the last section. He gets about the last three or four levels all in order and the final one is is him actually taking the fans as essentially boss characters where he is he kind of freaks out on on some new drugs that they've created and rampages through his own club and ends up actually killing all of the fans in the process. Or at least all of them, apart from Tony, who ends up getting killed by the detective.
2: This last level—Are we going to talk about it now? Yeah, sure. Because like, it was, it's
0: a good time.
2: <laughs> like I, I wasn't expecting it to be the last level. My first time through, I, I remembered it. My second time through, because uh, I didn't—I I wasn't expecting to end with the son of the mob boss. Like it just—I felt like we mm-hmm. would get back to the soldiers or get back to the fans or something. Um, mm-hmm. uh, just because he hadn't been introduced as a playable character until so late. But once once that trip starts and you start going and, and the what's the way that the other characters are reacting and, and the way that the the environment changes and how and and the way that the enemies look cu- culminating in that two-headed dragon boss fight at the end like it, that that is a wild section of gameplay and i'm not sure that i loved it but i am sure Ooh. that it was really unique and memorable like like i i thought about that level after finishing it for the first time but well like that's what they they that was a conscious decision they made this is what they're like this is the path they took you on to finish the game and it was just like it was just like a bonkers acid trip and um and yeah i i i left it not necessarily thinking that cuz the gameplay in that level, if I remember incorrectly, I just did it last week, but like, it wasn't that challenging. Um It wasn't.
0: No, not terribly, but yeah. the, um, the, the visual effects that they put over it because of the, the drug trip that you're supposed to be on kind of made it difficult to control. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. that, that was yeah. kind of where the challenge came from for me.
2: They, it, it just, it was- it's just a cool choice, I think. And, and it's unique. And for a game that I was completely expecting to end on this long combat heavy, you know, like have to like do everything precisely correct in order to finish, you know, like this sprawling level turns out to end on this, you know, this drug trip because the because the Russian mob boss wouldn't stop taking the pills no matter how many henchmen told him to stop. You know, it it was I thought it was a pretty cool choice.
1: Yeah. And you have um you have kind of had the levels leading up to this that feel more like the the boss levels yeah. end of the game levels. I think the the mob bosses previous two levels there's one that's a bank robbery and then Mm -hmm. another one where he's storming what looks like sort of a Scarface style mansion Mm -hmm. they are both huge levels with massive floors full of enemies I think the one of the final levels with him or the final floors of the final levels was uh, with along with the one with the fans with all four of the fans and some of the soldier levels was easily the one that I found the longest and the most difficult to actually get through the floor.
0: Yeah, the, the bank robbery, the bank robbery, definitely I, I spent some time on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So something <laughs> this is this is what I mean when I say that uh, I think it's a me problem for some of the stuff that I didn't catch, because uh, until I was actually researching after I had finished the game, I did not quite get that the characters that you fight as the mob boss during the his drug trip are supposed to be the fans so you know the the bit where you are uh the the bear one's pretty obvious right like you're you're yeah. running around uh, a level trying to escape the bear and then you have to hit him with a pipe or whatever it is um but but i i didn't quite catch the bit that um two-headed kind of dragon at the end is supposed to be alex and ash and that's you know you see yes you have already seen at that point uh the mob boss execute them on the roof at the end of their storyline um and this is kind of his where he what he was seeing during that point. And um, I, I did not catch that at all. And I feel really dumb for not catching that. But it's very cool now that I know that's what happened.
1: It definitely took me another playthrough to figure out. Because, I mean, at that point, the fans level where you did those things from their perspective was probably like six hours of gameplay mm. ago. So even if you've sat here and mainlined the whole thing, that's a while yeah. back. And yeah. there's been a lot that's happened in between it. And it's the whole thing is a... Is a huge kind of screwing with your head affair, so I completely understand why. It, if you're not paying massive amounts of attention, it, attention, it just sort of comes across as loads of fun little vignettes that all play out aren't necessarily linked to each other that strongly.
0: I say I say this not because I I necessarily need reassurance that I'm not a total dummy, um, although that's nice and I, I appreciate that, thank you. Um, <laughs> but 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 to say that I think if. As long as you enjoy the base concept, I think that it's a game that is that can be worth multiple playthroughs or at the very least, if you, you know, if, if you think that the story is interesting, uh, is worth, you know, kind of going into some of the uh, the outside sources that are available for it to kind of get a little bit more out of it, um, because I, uh, I definitely I definitely got a lot out of doing actual research and I'm glad I did that rather than just writing up show notes and saying, yep, I'm fine. (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah. So anyway, all right. So um, we've, we've done a lot of talking about the storyline. That is not all there is to say, but I think maybe we've hit most of the high points. Um, So I will open it up here uh, before we continue onward. uh, If there is anything else in the storyline that you guys want to bring up.
1: There are technically two other playable characters in this who also both tie into the first game. Yes. Their, their play styles, you've got this this guy, Jake, who's got a number of different snake masks, who is, he's like a really sort of excessively patriotic southern kind of dude who, you know, the level with him opens up and he's got a huge Confederate flag, like rug over his, over his couch or something. Mm-hmm. And he's just in this for, he just wants to beat up some Russians because he's, you know xenophobic and uh, you know i guess the russians did drop a nuclear bomb on san francisco at this point so you know some in some ways fair enough but he's definitely a very unsympathetic character but he has a few similar style levels where you're fighting Mm -hmm. through sort of dirty apartment blocks and stuff and he has three different masks that have abilities that i think we've seen all of them before he's got one where he starts with a gun he's got one where he's got the lethal fists and he's got another one where i think he's he's got lethal throwing weapons yeah so, i mean throws, it's, yep. it's really more of more of the same thing and the other slightly more interesting character is this this character richter who is actually an antagonist in the first game who i think the scene where jacket confronts him and shoots him in the first game and in that game it looks like he gets killed but i think it's more revealed here that he's he's only ended up being wounded but he's um he's a character who's he gives a lot of information to the reporter about his about his storyline t- because he's trying to he's basically also trying to escape from the situation that he's in and he's got a he's got a sick mother that he's caring for so he kind of trades information with the reporter for it ends up being mm-hmm. i think he get, ends up giving him a plane ticket to to get them away mm-hmm. to, to Hawaii but he has kind of an interesting sort of setup where one of his levels he ends up in a prison riot which is i mean it's similar to most of the things that have previously happened, but it's a bit of a a more interesting spin on it. That's probably about all there is to say. He ends up getting away to Hawaii with help from the reporter. And yeah, I think we we need to talk about what happens at the end of the game. But yeah, that's that's about it.
2: Yeah, the Richter prison break uh level was was interesting i was um that that is easily the most frustrated that i got with the game um during this playthrough yeah, that's a very difficult one As they well. start
0: throwing uh some special enemy types at mm-hmm. you that you don't really mm-hmm. see in other places uh it, you, you'll see some of the um like the larger enemies that will take more than one shot Uh, but there's uh, I I don't know what the enemy types are called but there are uh, a a specific type of prisoner enemy that you cannot actually shoot you have to melee them yeah Um, and Mm -hmm. that was what really got me stuck on that particular level Um,
2: I spent I'm not kidding I probably spent 25 minutes to half an hour on that first scene of that level where you're running around the basketball court in the prison fight waiting for the weapon to drop and I just Uh I couldn't get the hitbox right I would get the weapon and I would swing it but I would either just miss too early or miss too late, and I was like it was one of those moments like when you're playing a video game being like do i really want to bruise my leg by keeping punching it because i am just Uh like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna kick my dog i love my dog too much but like i someone i will i will 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 hit
0: myself on the leg exactly that's that's what i said
2: that's what i was saying Uh So i hit my i hit my leg in order because someone needed to feel pain and it had to be me um (laughs) but uh no but seriously all joking aside like that was that was like a screeching to a halt moment where it's like i just feel like i'm never gonna get past this and of course you do and and you move on but that whole level is kind of filled with those segments where you know you, yeah. p- you get through and you pick up the weapon, and you turn around and, and all of a sudden these guys this huge guys are you, and you you unload a clip and nothing happens and there was no warning Ooh. and then you got to restart it's like yeah that was that was the one for me that was like you know like i was doing a little too much contemplation about um the durability of my controller during that um <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> during that one Uh, it seems almost unfair at this point i think you're probably 75 80 of the way through the game to suddenly start introducing this new like absolutely hellish enemy model like they're easily the the most frustrating thing and it took me quite a long time to figure out um with the charging guys like what the actual deal with them was like they see you from line of sight from a long way away and just yeah. beeline towards yeah. you way faster than anything else moves and you can't shoot them. You've got to throw a melee weapon at them and then uh, execute them while they're on the floor. But you've suddenly gone from never seeing them before to like each of the next three floors, there's loads of them. And unlike all the other enemy models, they're always just kind of standing in the corner or like standing up against the wall. So you don't notice the damn They things. almost look like they're corpses, like from the riot, yeah. you know, yep. so like
2: you'll come where I thought I had a level cleared and I was like, where is this last? And I turned a corner and this just was like it was like one of those scenes, like, you know, like this phantom against the wall that the protagonist knows he just like, <laughs> you know, reaches for me with both arms I'm like son of a, you know, and uh, but yeah. yeah, yeah, it's um yeah, it, it it was very frustrating, and but I, it's unfortunate that it was that frustrating because I think that's it's one of the cooler settings for those levels, you know, like mm-hmm. like it's really compact, really condensed. Um, there's a lot, like you know, like of actually navigating the environment that would be tricky, obviously, and and so it, there was potential there. I just think it was uh, fumbled
1: a little bit.
0: Uh, all right. Do we want to talk about the ending?
1: Sure. So I mean the the kind of the through line to I think the majority of the game ends up being the the characters in the jungle that we talked about the beard and jacket and the colonel and there's a point somewhere in the middle of the jungle stages where the colonel suddenly appears drunk at one point and it looks like he's beheaded a panther or something and like is using its head as a mask and he goes on this long spiel about how you know everybody is just animals nobody cares about anything nobody knows really what they're doing they're just there for the brutality and it feels very kind of meta and very much a you know a a sort of a more talking almost directly to the player rather than talking about any of the characters but anyway i mean so this this character here um later on after the the war is i guess finished or you know at least the conflict in hawaii is finished the russians um, drop a bomb on san francisco And I think it's, I'm not sure if it's ever actually spelled out, but I think it's heavily implied that the Colonel goes on to become one of the creators or the the founders of the 50 Blessings movement, uh, which you know makes plenty of sense from the point of view of his character. And then a couple of years later, during the 1991 levels, it's mentioned that General, who I think is supposed to be the Colonel, who's now been promoted, uh, has started a coup, an armed coup, in which both the uh, Soviet premier and the uh, U.S. president were killed, which then leads to the Russians dropping more nuclear bombs on the U.S. Yeah, something uh, like 50, sure right? Like
2: 50 nuclear bombs or something mm-hmm. like that, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's
1: like some crazy, I guess, uh, what's the the sort of complete annihilation um, metaphor that they used for like just wiping somebody out so bad that they can't retaliate. And that yeah. it feels like that, and you see in these final kind of slightly before credits then mid-credits scenes you basically see all of the characters who you had been playing as who would survived the main storyline which at this point isn't that many you kind of see all of them just doing their thing and then suddenly you know the bomb goes off and they kind of get blasted off the screen but at this point it's like a third of the playable characters and a couple of the the side characters that had been in some of the cutscenes and stuff i found so, that to be pretty yeah.
0: effective because i mean the 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 characters who are still alive at this point for the most part are kind of minding their own business. Like they got out, you know, like you, and they are not, they're not good people. Don't get me wrong. But like, you know, you see Richter who's caring for his mother out in Hawaii somewhere, just kind of get vaporized. And you see, you know, beard who finally opened up that little convenience store that he said (laughs) he wanted to, he gets vaporized. You know, it's, it, I, I thought that that was pretty effective because, you know, it, it, kind of drives home the maybe maybe too heavy-handedly but uh you know it kind of drives home the even if you get out you're never really out like it's this stuff is gonna follow you you know so
1: i mean everybody who we see in this is at least somewhat complicit in (laughs) i guess you know pissing off the russians and leading (laughs) to the events that end up happening but i mean it's it still sucks when you see evan potentially sitting around the table with his family yeah uh, you know getting obliterated like you, you don't want to see that you don't want that to happen i also think like i've read a bunch
2: and i'm sure that you both have as well that like the the developers were not interested in making a third one so one way to kind of get out of making a third one is to literally vaporize everybody at the end
0: yeah which and I there, can there is a there's actually briefly a title screen yeah. um at the yeah. end after everything gets vaporized that says hotline miami 3 which I assume is just a joke on
2: their part. Yeah, um, it goes in, it goes instant into the rewind on the videotape aesthetic. Yes. <laughs> it goes back, but, mm. but yeah, I, I like like I agree with you, Leah. I think it was very effective. Um, and it was kind of just that that feeling that the, there there's always going to be a consequence for these level of actions, and the the whole state of the world that this these games exist in is so broken to a part part where like you're not going to be able to escape the violence you're not gonna be able to escape the destruction and um i I think that i think that that worked pretty well to to send that message
1: yeah and then you know what happens to the rest of the world after america gets completely wiped off the map like it's not just going to settle back down, is it? Like, I think at this point everything's dead, effectively. I'll tell you in about a year after
2: coronavirus has its way <laughs> yeah, with us. I'm sorry, oh, seriously. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't stop myself.
0: Uh, no, this is a eerily prescient game, I think, yeah. uh, in in some ways. Um, so, hey, how about that pixel art? Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's
2: still really good. It is. Yes, yeah.
0: yes, it is. Um, squeaky. Um, yeah, I. It's. I think that something would really have been lost if they had gone for a more realistic style in the game, artistically, because then you would be paying, I mean, there is so much gore in this game that if you went for an actual realistic style, I think that that would have kind of eclipsed everything. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know,
0: you, you you would just be paying attention to the buckets and buckets and buckets of blood and not... To, you know, kind of all the things that are going on around it.
2: There's something so unique, and I'm sure this was talked about in the... In fact, I listened to the Hotline Miami episode, I think they talked about this exact thing. There's something so effective to having, like, especially in those tight corridor levels, um, Mm -hmm. where you're in, like, the apartment buildings, that, like, the... The rooms and everything are, um, you know, are well detailed. But everything outside of that map, which there's actually a lot of on-screen area, is just that pulsating purple. Yeah, it's just unsettling mm-hmm. in a way. And then, and mm-hmm. then it just like it has, it has just has that feeling of just being like foreign and dangerous all at the same time. And like it, and and the maps are just kind of lightly shifting left to right, like at all time. Ah, just it just it, it's so unique and so cool. And it just. If they deviated from that too much i w- i would have been disappointed because that's part of the that's one of the things that like it like keeps the tension amped up it keeps everything like like it, you just you feel that dangers literally around every corner and 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 that mm-hmm. you need to be you know on your game in order to get through these levels i i i just full on am in love with that aesthetic it just it works on almost every level combine that with the music and it's just like I, I playing mm-hmm. this game with headphones on in the dark is like it's almost like nothing else you know it's just like it's just it's this whole like all consuming sensory experience super cool
1: yeah it is it is amazing i'm glad that they didn't deviate from either the the art style or basically the music i mean it's the same bunch of the same artists on the soundtrack very similar songs so yeah it's it is very much a sequel to the original game in that respect and i'm sure it was it was brought up a lot on the original show you know how well it all works together but there's something that's so beautiful about just the subtle differences between kills with different weapons and the executions and even though it's in you know virtually zero pixels when you're looking at things you can still tell exactly what's going on it still mm-hmm. it still has that horrific aspect of you know you can tell that you're like pushing a gun inside somebody's mouth and shooting the back of their head off and it, you don't need to have that being you know visually perfect to be able to to feel disgusted by your actions but right. yeah. it it works it works really well for being horrible but not too horrible
0: yeah no i i agree with that um what uh Brian, what you were saying about uh, everything just kind of going together—it's it's really difficult for me to kind of talk about the visuals without talking about the audio because this mm-hmm. is one of those situations in which I cannot imagine listening to a podcast or listening to anything else really while while playing this game um, because I it just it the beat that you hear when you are doing this whole thing it's it's just it's very driving mm-hmm. i i'm i'm kind of failing in, in saying what i want to say about uh about the how the audio just kind of gets into your your bloodstream and you know you just kind of feel it while you're playing um this is not normally my type of my chosen uh type of of music but i really like this soundtrack and and i feel like it it I I don't know that a third game would necessarily work at this point because I think it might be no pun intended overkill. Um, and and to that I am kind of glad that they have wrapped everything up in the second one because there's just such a good connection between the um, kind of the stylized art and the uh, the the vivid colors and you know just the. Indistinct, but at the same time very evocative, uh, pixel art. Where you know, as as John, you were saying, you know, you you can tell exactly what you're doing, even though the pixels are only kind of suggesting what it is that you're doing. Your your brain is very good at filling in the gaps because everything else around it is leading you to believe that you know, there's just this pulsing kind of pumping sound in the background that. Is, is just unstoppable, really. And and that's actually, I will, uh, I will kind of uh, pivot here and say that's actually a little bit of a problem that I had um, because the music and because all of that is so effective at kind of keeping you going and kind of continuing on. Um, we talked a little bit earlier about how some of the levels are very long and very involved. And when something loops it takes away from that a little bit um because you know you you, or at least i did i got such a strong just vibe i guess from the whole thing that when one piece of it dropped out a little bit and that 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 loop became apparent it uh it did take a little bit of the steam out of it um so i i don't know whether that means that i would have preferred shorter levels uh for the most part in the first game the, the levels were kind of uh shorter and and not as uh, expansive, either time-wise or uh, space-wise.
2: I know. I, yeah. I just I, I i don't know how to talk about the length of the level because I, I'm not a level designer. Yeah. The thing about the first game and even the segments as the fans and somewhat with the mob boss son, like those levels, mm-hmm. like the in the first game and those levels, the levels were still pretty long, but the but transition from floor to floor was relatively quick. So you might might have a level that takes you 45 minutes, but like you, you're just given more checkpoints, you know, and yeah. I can just yeah. I can just remember that warehouse level as the soldiers where you're going, it's, you're, you're kind of scrolling horizontal and it's the first time you encounter the enemies that are behind cover. And you got to kind of take them out like and that that one section was just so long and so many opportunities to fail. And there might have only been two maps on that level, but each one took like 15 minutes to get through it. And and this game is, is about like making that mistake and then the quick restart and doing it again. Yeah. So those big maps really took away from that for me. So. I, whether or not the the entire levels are long I just the the bite-sized chunk nature of the floors like it, it just works I think better than a than a sprawling area and I think you saw that kind of like especially by the, the the last segment as a soldier I was just like I, I was I was and when they went the colonels talking about like this is pretty much a suicide mission there's no way to get' it. I'm, I'm thinking about it I'm like man I do not want to play through this level because I know yeah I know what they're gonna give me
0: I honestly yeah. that 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 warehouse level specifically I was wondering if you were supposed to lose that level (laughs) Uh, to start with. I'm like, am I supposed to just back out? Because like I I would, there's uh, the way that that level starts is you're outside a fence and one of the other members of your party uh, or your squad, he takes out a section of the fence. And if you go in there right away, you just get shot by like six guys at once. Like there's, there's no, no kind of um, leeway at all. Which, um, yeah, it took me a while to even just figure out how to approach that. Which is not not necessarily a bad thing, but it was frustrating. I will definitely say that.
1: The game has a precedent for that forced failure. I'm not sure if it Mm -hmm. happens before or after the level you're talking about. But there's uh, a section where you're playing as Jake, the guy with the snake masks. Mm -hmm. And his final floor of the final level that you play as, uh, if he dies during that level, it sort of stops and it takes you to a cutscene where the mobsters come and drag his body away and, and end up shooting him. And that's how the level actually finishes. Like if you fail it, it stops there. I mean, if you, if you pass it, you get a different cutscene, which can lead to some other things happening later on in the game. But
0: most people probably wouldn't though, at least not their first playthrough. Oh, you know, no, it's, no, it's, 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 it's very yeah. difficult to get one through one of those levels. First try. I watched a couple of speed runs and like, even they, you know, have deaths, not all the time, but you know, in a lot of the harder levels, especially.
1: Yeah, I guess when the deaths and the restarts, you know, can potentially only be a few seconds, it's not worth restarting an entire speedrun to, to yeah. make up for for some of those things. But it's it just <laughs> um, it ties into uh, everything that I, I wanted out of the first game. It mm-hmm. comes back here with the the kind of the pulsing music, and it, it plays it, when you sort of sit down and, and just let your brain get into it. It plays almost like a rhythm game. Like it's not a rhythm game in any in any real way, but it feels as, as kind of to the beat as something like, um, Cadence of Hyrule or, um, the, the game that that was based on whose name I'm blacking uh, on. the Necrodancer. The
0: necro-dancer. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's the fella. But it, it feels so much like that. And, you know, I, I want to briefly talk about the, um, the soundtrack to it because it yeah. is, it is a collection of, as you said before, something like 50, 60 songs. There is a, a YouTube video that I have watched Many, many, many times it is just the entire soundtrack back to back that's like three and a half hours long. And, you know, there are a lot of tracks from artists who are previously um, featured in the original game. Who I don't know how big like, any of these artists are. I don't know how sort of, you know, household namey they are, but ple- uh, people like um, Scattle and Moon who have numerous tracks split across the two games. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel that they must be at least somewhat big in in kind of the electronica scene. I think the two bands that they add to to um, Hotline Miami 2, who I don't think were in the original, are um, Perturbator and Carpenter Brew. And as far as I know, both of them are generally quite a lot bigger than most of the other bands. So I've, I've never heard of in any context outside of... Um, outside of this game i think you know from a, a standpoint of like almost journalistic integrity we should probably mention that um two artists who are featured on both of these soundtracks jasper byrne and uh, el huevo have both previously done interviews with leon and or maybe ryan for sound of play and have both genuinely been lovely people who've uh you know are, are as nice as their music is good and have been very generous with their time for us so you know shout outs to both of those for you know both the music and the the interviews
0: yeah absolutely um i i, I agree in that i don't really know uh as as i kind of mentioned before this is i i'm not in general i don't know a lot about electronica and it's not something that i listen to a ton um but so, so I can't really speak to how, how big they are within their respective scenes. But, uh, yeah, this just fits so well. I just, I, I feel like any other type of soundtrack would not have worked as well. So I'm, I'm really glad that they, uh, that they stuck with that.
2: It's rad as hell. All
1: of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, I agree. Yeah, that's basically it. Everything about it is, is super cool. I, I would listen to any of the artists featured on this outside of the game, um, I frequently listen to the music and um, I would probably go out of my way to, to go and see some of this performed. I mean, it's almost exactly a year ago, within a couple of hours that I was at a music festival in um, in rural Czechoslovakia, or sorry, in rural Czech Republic. We saw Carpenter Brew finishing off on the main stage at 10 past one in the morning, put on a set for about an hour. And it was Probably one of the absolute highlights of the entire festival, which it was not an electronica festival. It was a heavy metal festival, which just happened to also feature Carpenter Brew in like a a massive headline That sounds awesome. Yeah. I mean, they're obviously big enough for that sort of thing. But it's still to this point is probably one of the most fun evenings I've ever had. And I would I would happily repeat that for most of the artists who i recognize on the soundtrack yeah, yeah. I've,
2: I've tried to support moon in any possible way i can just as a consumer you know the, getting their albums records because i because that uh, man i just their contributions to both of these soundtracks i just they, they are they, it's like hypnotizing how good they are i like the music is what i'm saying yeah
0: agreed yes i think we're i think we're all on the same page there <laughs> so we've talked a lot about the gameplay already but I want to read a little bit of correspondence from the forum. Uh, this is from Super User, who we heard from previously and says, uh, they didn't understand why people liked the first game. The neon 80s aesthetic was losing its luster by the time 2 came out, so it had to deliver equally great gameplay, which it didn't. There were two chief failings. First, this is a very hard game that you'll die a lot at, just like its predecessor. Restarting is instant, like before, one of Hotline Miami's best innovations, but the levels are very long. Where, in, where a Hotline Miami 1 level was 40 seconds clean, you're looking at three 3 minutes for most levels in the sequel. It's optimistic, but uh, (laughs) maybe that's just me. Uh, The other problem is that you constantly get shot off screen. The levels were deliberately crafted so I find this a baffling decision. It also means the game loses its fast-paced style favoring a cautious approach that relies on trial and error plus a lot of holding the right mouse button to see further afield. It breaks the vibe the game is going for in other ways because you're not rolling in and causing a storm of sudden violence using any tools to hand. Unless you're doing a speed run you're planning your entry before every room and that's just lame. There's even a sniper level which is one of the worst levels i've played in a top-down action game i bought the game near release which is rare for me at the time there were a lot of irritating behaviors with pathfinding and doors it was difficult to tell how enemies would move and predictability is important in a tense game like this this was most obvious with the dog enemies who could jump at you and insta kill you at random times i still have memories of certain sections in a very green sewer level it's still fairly tight and i thought the restrictions of each character enhanced the game, even if they were at times annoying it kept the game interesting much more than the original was able to the thing that I really agree with on this is um, the getting shot by enemies off screen. Um, that is really frustrating. Uh, I I understand needing to and, and appreciate needing to be aware of your surroundings and to, you know, kind of make sure that you've scoped out everything before you, you roll in. Uh, but it just doesn't seem fair at some points when you, and, and I'm, I'm still thinking about that stupid energy plant level <laughs> yeah. um where yeah, you tough. know there's there are there are a lot of sections in that where you if you don't already know what the level looks like you can get easily shot and killed from somebody who's halfway across the screen just because they happen to get line of sight on you
2: i am um, i'm not sure if i'm going to get my gamer card revoked for this but i just can't remember um <laughs> i can't remember from the first game did the first game have windows the enemies were shooting. Yeah, it did. It did? Yes. Okay. Uh, but not as but many. There are a lot more here. Yeah. yeah, so that was where I would find like the getting shot from off screen is frustrating but for me it was whole, almost instantly more frustrating if it was through a window that i didn't know was there so like if i couldn't see that there was a window that i need to worry about and i turn around a corner and i get shot through that window from somebody who's in a room like that just like it broke all of it for me and it happened quite a lot and so i think that's a very fair criticism um about about the getting shot off screen because because it, cause it, cause it it can, yeah. it can, even when you're feeling like you're playing at your most careful, it can inject that just that just enough of feeling unfair to where that frustration builds
1: even worse than just being shot through a window. There are points where you can get shot through a series of multiple windows by somebody who's off screen. Yeah, there's a couple of levels. I think one of the um, the mob bosses levels right at the very end. Yeah. So it's either upstairs in the bank or upstairs in one of the, the mansions where there's like a long corridor with multiple rooms and you can't see anything Mm -hmm. uh, like off your screen. And there are people who will shoot you from like through three different windows that you wouldn't even have a chance of noticing. Yeah, That happened to me in
2: upstairs in the nightclub level uh, for sure. As the, as the, uh, uh, no, that was as the, the fans, I think. But yeah, um, (laughs) yeah, yeah, there was, I mean, there'd be like, yeah, it just like there's like these three corridors and you get shot from an entire level away and have no idea where it came from. Very frustrating.
1: There yeah. are a couple of things that I think are added to this that weren't in the previous Hotline Miami that I think are, are sort of vaguely designed to make it more fair like there's um I think specifically when you choose the power that um the barehead mark guy from the fans has mm-hmm. and that um the mob boss has towards the end of the game if you choose the power where you you start off with guns they both start dual wielding um like submachine gun style things Mm -hmm. And if you press one of the buttons down, they kind of fan their arms so that instead of just shooting two lines straight in front of you, you can fan in like a 180 degrees angle. And I think that's very specifically designed for certain areas where you run down a corridor that's got rooms on either side with glass. So you can kind of point your guns to each side and shoot the guys as you run through. But I mean, it's... Something, but it doesn't, you know, completely nullify all right. the, the yeah. problems that it has. I
0: kind of wonder if they had, like, in in certain areas where you do have a little bit of a choice. I wonder if things are designed with the idea that you would pick a certain thing, and then other thing, or other paths or other um approaches maybe are a little bit more difficult. I, I'm thinking of of kind of what you were saying about the uh, the mob boss power or the bear mask power where where you do have those dual submachine guns and because i i watched one of the speed runs i watched made use of that and basically just charged through one of those uh later <laughs> levels uh, i think in the nightclub where where there they are a it bunch of little, little so rooms
2: easy. oh they do <laughs> like they finish
0: this game in 45 minutes and i'm going what what it took me that long to finish a level <laughs> yeah but uh i i wonder if uh when they were designed it, it was kind of designed for that specific thing. And then if you choose, you know, the, the lethal punches, which is what I had a tendency to go for, it's a little bit more difficult because you have glass on both sides of you. So that's going to be uh, kind of tougher to take somebody out without somebody seeing you from behind.
1: Yeah, that lethal punches definitely feels like hard mode in certain places where I think the game is definitely trying to get you to to shoot rather than melee.
2: Yeah, and you can get you can kind of checkpoint yourself into a problem because you might be able to finish the first floor, the first room, like successfully, but then mm-hmm. you get like to the second floor and there's all those windows and a lot of long distance weapons. And you're, you know, around a corner with your fists being like, how the hell am yeah. I supposed to take care of this? Yeah. yeah you, can, you can pigeonhole yourself a bit. I found myself, I had to restart a chapter maybe once uh, to just, but that was by my own choice. I'm sure I could have brute forced my way through it, but that's a, that's another thing not to keep harping on the same problem, but like when you're not able to just pick up every weapon on the fly, like that, that does, that does create challenges from a gameplay perspective that the first game didn't have.
0: I found that uh, for the most part, the the most difficult part for me was kind of figuring out the initial approach. Like, So the first 10 seconds or whatever of of a level is really where it... If I got past that reliably, then the rest of it was not as... I won't say it wasn't as difficult, but I had kind of a... I I definitely had a a method, uh, and usually that method was poke your head out and let stuff see you and then deal with it as it comes charging, make them come to you. Like I, I'm not a very aggressive player in these kinds of situations. And maybe that was to my detriment here. Uh, but yeah, it, uh, I mean, it, I I guess it served me well in the end, but, um, yeah, I, I would say that I saw the first bit of a level way more often than I had to replay kind of later parts. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's a thing. Speaking of the difficulty level, um, do you think, directed at both of you, that this game is too hard?
1: Uh, overall, I'm going to say no, because it didn't put me off badly enough that I ever really got that annoyed or that frustrated mm-hmm. with it. I think if you're comparing it to the first game, then you know, it's, it's a decent step up for various reasons that we've all mentioned. Um, but I don't think, just as a you know, sort of a question on its own. Is it too difficult? I don't think that it is. I think it's, it's trying to force you to play in a different way than you've probably expected to. And probably, you know, you've learned how to play Hotline Miami. That doesn't fly here as well as you are probably expecting it to. Um So I think, yeah, I think my answer is more just it's different rather than excessive.
2: Yeah, that's I I I pretty much fall into that exact camp. I I do think that this game will turn people off because of its difficulty. Um, I and especially if you went into the first one and had trouble with it, but but able to make your way through. Like there are sections of this game that were were very difficult to get through. So, um, but I do <clears> think it set. I th- do think it achieves the level of difficulty that it sets out to 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 give you. It, it almost reminds me in like a like. Like can you say like Super Meat Boy is that game too difficult? Well, it's really difficult, but it's what they're going Ooh. for. So it it goes to that whole debate and I don't certainly don't want to get involved in any of that, but but yeah, I I think that this game is real difficult and at sometimes it's unfair, which is unfortunate, but all in all I think that um that it's an achievable level level of difficulty.
0: Yeah, I there I think there was only one section where I genuinely Com- I genuinely contemplated dropping out of the podcast and making somebody <laughs> yeah. else host. So that's that's not too bad. Uh, <laughs> I got over it. It's fine. I've I I did that more times in my per- first playthrough of Dark Souls probably than than I did with this. So oh, tell okay. me about
2: it. I got the Lady Butterfly in Sekiro today. That game is too hard. That game is too <laughs> hard. I cannot be there. I'm, I uh, I about. might agree
1: with that. <laughs>
0: is uh sekiro podcast we we already did that this year yeah i was not on it uh, okay yes i was
1: i think (laughs) i was in the in the camp that it is too difficult
0: (laughs) all right well if you want to hear more about our opinions on difficulty sekiro podcast is several back (laughs) uh go listen to that Uh, um all right so um here's another piece of correspondence uh this is angry kurt from the forum who says, Hotline Miami 2 is the most disappointed I have ever been with a game. This was primarily due to me adoring the first game for a multitude of reasons, so much so that I would place it in my top five games of all time, and went on to get the platinum trophy in the game, which I rarely do. So needless to say, I was massively hyped for the sequel. I felt that the game went from being difficult but fair to being difficult and unfair. The increased map size led to many deaths by enemies who were off the screen, which I had no hope of knowing were there. With this in mind, I made my way through levels at a rather slow pace, which was the total opposite of the fast and frantic action of the first game. I pressed on in the hope things would get better later on, but it didn't, and it came to head during one of the later Vietnam missions, which were probably the largest and most open levels, where I cracked and had enough of the game, putting it down, never to return. The game did have one redeeming feature, though, for me, which was the soundtrack, which was excellent yet again. We have Sludge Wizard from the forum who says, Hotline Miami 2's final level is the best, most memorable level in either game and one of my favorite levels in gaming, period. It's the LSD-soaked murder nightmare in a series made up exclusively of LSD-soaked murder nightmares. (laughs) And Alex79UK who says, I don't have a great deal to add to this conversation other than I also was disappointed the first time I played it. It didn't feel like the first game. It almost felt like a traditional twin-stick shooter in places and the story absolutely baffled me. Once I accepted it for what it seemed to me, more of a shooter than the tactical almost puzzle-like nature of the first game i really had a lot of fun with it though so yeah thank you for your correspondence everybody i kind of disagree with the um with the fact that this was not a puzzle-like game because i actually described it as such to someone who had asked me what i was playing and uh asked me to describe what hotline miami 2 was and i said it's kind of a puzzle shooter and they said what does that even mean (laughs) so well (laughs) um that's a fair question um but uh, what I mean when I say that I th- I feel like it's a puzzle-like shooter is that there is there are multiple correct ways to go through a game like this. Probably an infinite number of correct ways to go through a game like this. For me, it was about kind of drawing the line through it. Um, And and I mentioned before that I played the first 10 seconds of a lot of levels many, 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 many times. Uh, And I think that's what I mean. Like, I would get to a point where I would need to have at least that first part mapped out. And, you know, the the longer you go into a level, the more room there is for variance and the more you're going to have to improvise. But to the extent that I could, I was planning, you know I was solving the level for for whatever that means um so I don't know that I agree with that specific part, but um yeah, I mean it is definitely you you can you can be more careful i I was when I could be, but also there are a lot more opportunities uh for disaster if you are not ready to also be a shooty shooty person all right, so uh we have already been through um kind of the story and the way that it is told but uh anything else on the specific chapters that we wanted to bring up
2: i like the vhs aesthetic and i don't think that a lot too. of people um would get it particularly if they are below a certain age but for for before but a child who literally had a device in his living room that was only existed to rewind videotapes it, it was, oh yeah it was on top of the speaker <laughs> it was called the rewinder um remember to be, cu- be looks like a little car yeah <laughs> exactly there's something about that is going to just hit a button in my brain that says this reminds you of something. Um, so yeah, I do like the way that the chapters were set up that way and how there's even like things like the loading screen and just like the transitions from level to level that I, I did like the way it was set up in that way. Um, it was also having the VHS set up for the kind of the the menus and and the the interplay between scenes it was very easy to know when they were going back in time or forward in time obviously they'd be rewind yeah. or fast forward like the, yeah. the the imagery i think suited their storytelling style well so yeah i was i was i was a fan of how it was set up we really yeah. should have, and they have
0: uh, we really should have brought a uh, a guest person in one of our younger team members to see if that aesthetic still actually works <laughs> if you don't know what a vhs is by experience
1: yeah i i think this is all used in like vaporwave and stuff now so it's probably still Fair. somewhat common and even the point you mentioned earlier about like the outsides of the levels all kind of mm-hmm. being purple and wavy and stuff i think that's a very big thing in in vaporwave style music and art
0: yeah no i i'm thinking of stuff where like when you pause it's like you paused a videotape you know it's got yeah. that it's got the noise kind of on the uh, on the screen there so uh i don't know i it definitely worked for me because i'm a child of the late 80s early 90s so uh
2: listen here young jacob geller sit down i'm gonna tell you (laughs) i'm gonna tell you a tale of the three speeds of the vhs recording the sp (laughs) the lp and (laughs) yeah it's um it's it's definitely it makes me feel old but it also makes me appreciate how old i am at the same time
0: (laughs) yeah I, I, I got a kick out of it. Yeah. Uh, so with that, uh, we're going to go into uh, our three word reviews. We put a call out on Twitter day of recording and ask that you send us your thoughts on the game in just
2: three words. S- super user says, "Play for story."
0: Alex seventy nine UK says, "Soundtrack still great."
2: The Tage says, "Less was more." Bigelow Buggerlugs, awesome name, says, "Extremely tonally unpleasant." Gausch says, "Off screen killers." Ben says, "Killed from off screen." Luke Pace Scrivener
1: says, "Again, but not."
0: Leroy Lemon says, banned in Australia."
1: And Chris Pybus says, "Smash TV meets masculine." Banned in Australia review or is that not just a workaround for saying didn't play it (laughs) (laughs) fair
0: question Um, i I, I
1: happen to know that leroy lemon is australian
0: ah dang i should have caught that leon's gonna be mad at me
1: (laughs) we we probably should have mentioned this earlier i mean maybe this can be this can be sort of cut into it but the the australia situation is kind of an interesting one in this case because the game was originally banned for the depictions of sexual violence which is i mean it's kind of not an uncommon thing to happen in Australia. Sure. I mean, it used to happen more often, but they did now. Uh, they did introduce um, a higher rating system, but previous to this game. So I guess it's still, you know, it's one of the more rare cases now that it actually got banned. Um, there was an interview with one of the developers uh, where somebody asked him, you know, this has been banned. You know, what are we going to do? And his response was, just pirate it. We don't care. Pirate it and enjoy the game. So that's, um, you know, their, their line on that was. Probably more interesting than you'd hear from a lot of people. I've never heard, you know, Ubisoft saying, "Yeah, pirate it. We don't care." It tends to not happen. (laughs) Ubisoft Um, says, uh, "Yeah,
2: pirate it by buying Assassin's Creed Four, Black Flag. Play as a pirate." And that's uh, how that's what Ubisoft uh, does. Assassin's
1: Creed (laughs) Three is free DLC with it.
2: (laughs) Oh boy, Um, yeah, yeah.
0: No, I I also read that article with them with them saying, you know, yeah, you can't get it. Just pirate it. We're good. You don't need to send us money or anything. Just play the game. Which uh, is interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't know that I mentioned this uh, earlier, but uh, John, Jonathan Soderstrom, who is one of the, the two kind of main presences in, in this and the first game, um, has done a ton of indie work, like a lot. Um, and I, it wasn't much that I had heard of, but like he... Extremely prolific. Um, so, I mean, if this is if this is something that you like, then it might be worth uh, you know kind of checking out some of the smaller titles and seeing if any of those resonates as well. Mm. Okay, so. Um, In summary, I'm going to go first this time. Uh, I liked Hotline Miami 2. I did not love Hotline Miami 2 because it made me angry. Um, And that's not always a bad thing. I play games that make me angry and then sometimes they make me really satisfied when the part that is making me angry is something that I am able to overcome. And uh, I was in in Hotline Miami 2, which is why I liked it and didn't you know, I was going to say throw it across the room, but I have it digitally, so um, I I don't know if this ever even got a physical release, actually. Uh, So um, I didn't angrily click a delete button on a console. Um, I think that if... if you are prepared to kind of learn the ins and outs of a game, if you're okay with doing something over and over again to get that kind of level of perfection, or at least of adequacy in my case, it's definitely not perfection, but you know, it, it, it worked. Um, uh, the aesthetic is Fantastic. And probably my favorite part. Definitely. I think my favorite part of Hotline Miami and Hotline Miami too. Um, I don't know that I will go back and replay, uh, but I might actually watch some more videos because I do think that the story is also really put together in kind of a fascinating and unique way. Uh, You don't see a whole lot of this and um, this, this kind of alternate universe, um, memento type thing is uh is is fascinating and something that i uh i i don't have a whole lot of experience with in game storytelling so uh it definitely deserves mention for that and um so yeah i Hotline Miami 2 and Hotline Miami 1 can be played basically anywhere on any console that you own. So, uh, yeah, if you see it in a sale or something and uh, any of this has spoken to you, if you haven't played it already, I would say go for it. Um, It it might not be your thing, but it it might be. So uh, I think it's worth giving a try. Uh, Brian, how about you go next?
2: uh yeah i i almost agree with everything that leah just said uh the i think it's a game completely worth playing specifically if you played the first one if you played the first one and you liked it there's gonna be a lot to like about hotline miami too um i have some issues with some of the design stuff uh we've talked about at length um some of the difficulty things some of the way that the story was structured didn't hit until i did some more research afterwards and i think there's 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 um definitely benefit to that style of storytelling it just you know sometimes like when you want to know everything that goes on with the game you don't want it to be as veiled as some of the things that they they made it um but all in all i think it's it's a game that will if you like hotline miami one you will enjoy hotline miami too um but the one thing i will say is that the denaton games has because of these first two titles it doesn't matter what game they release next i'm i'm going to play that game like i want to see mm-hmm. what this team does i they they have a lot of really neat ideas they they play with perspective and storytelling and 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 just kind of gameplay elements in a way that um it, it's certainly non-traditional and I, i'm i really interested to see what what comes out of their next so um yeah i can't wait uh, to see what they have have in the oven and and yeah if you haven't played either of these games by all means uh
1: give them a shot
0: thank you very much and last but not least john
1: after playing the original hotline miami i never in a million years would have thought that the sequel the part that would grab me the most you know potentially aside from the soundtrack which i think grabbed me before i even played the game but the part that grabbed me more than anything else i think was the weird convoluted storyline that just ties into everything like all the characters tie together, they tie to the previous game, they tie to events in the past and the present and the future. And I never expected a game like this that was previously so heavily focused on gameplay and, and aesthetic to have such a solid storyline and even to the point of having extraneous materials like these digital comics and stuff. It it took me completely uh you know, completely blindsided. And I think i said before i played this through this twice and i had two very very different experiences with one being much more focused on on enjoying the gameplay and then the following leading me down a rabbit hole of doing the investigation work and stuff which you know i've I've made the connection before but people talk about the fact that this is what they liked so much about dark souls or one of the things that they liked about dark souls was this weird storyline that you've got to kind of you know uncover it and you know pull the rug aside to to pick up all the pieces and for whatever reason it just this week doing this preparing for the podcast it caught me so well to you know go and watch these YouTube videos and yeah as much as I enjoy everything about the game I mean there are there are the downsides that have been mentioned numerous times The it's difficult to come directly from one into two and expect it to be exactly the same like it's it's the same in a lot of ways but you do have to change your play style and maybe change your mindset a little bit it just it doesn't quite work in exactly the same way that you might be expecting to i mean it's it's telling that i think most of the correspondence that we've had and a lot of the the general thoughts that i've heard about the game have have included the words disappointing basically people wanting a you know exactly the same and not quite getting it or getting a slightly more frustrating version and that has bugged me in some ways but i'm i think i'm also very forgiving of the idea that it's not exactly the same thing and i do have to change my my expectation a little bit and i i find it very difficult to say i'm disappointed in something when you know why would you have the expectation in the first place okay you've got a game and a sequel but you wouldn't necessarily expect something to be a carbon copy so in in my mind they've they've expanded on the things in the first game that were really really good they've added some things or changed some things that might not work quite as well as they did previously but you've still got a you know a game that's really good fun to play through it's really fantastic just to listen to the soundtrack while doing basically anything else and if you want to dive into it there's there's a lot of um you know extra materials and stuff that you can you can sink into the storyline it they've built a not a deep particularly well fleshed out world to it but they've they've made a narrative that is deep and fleshed out and you know i'm i find it very difficult to not give that a huge amount of props so yeah i i really enjoyed this and i think i enjoyed it much more on a sort of a second more reflective uh
0: so then it just remains for me leah to thank brian and john our editor ryan all of our correspondents and of course you for are listening Next time in issue 432, we will be covering The Gardens Between.